Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you all. It's always fun to get to come back and visit family. And it's not just the family by marriage, it's the church family. And uh, just so thankful for you all. You have truly been partners with us in the gospel. And we're so thankful for that. Um, Normally, on a Sunday morning, normally here, normally when I'm preaching at our church, we're taking a passage of Scripture and walking through exactly what does God have to say for us. We will do some of that today, but today is going to be different. I was talking with Pastor Brent, and we were talking about that the church, there's been a lot of change here since we first went out to Grandview. And so part of what I'm going to do for a while today is just tell you the story of what God has done to bring Grandview into existence, what God's been doing since then. As a camp director, sometimes people ask me what my job is. I'll tell them, well, I do a lot of uh, cleaning bathrooms and washing dishes. Uh, But my title, main primary job, would just be chief storyteller. That, That I get to tell the stories of what God is doing. And that's a lot, I believe, of how God teaches us about his providence, where God is working all things together for good. And as we're living our part of the story, sometimes we don't know, God, what are you doing? But God is the author of the story, already knows the end of the story, and he is in the process of working all things together according to his will, to his purposes. And so I'm going to tell some stories of how we've seen God working. And then we'll look at some scripture and see how it all ties together. So Grandview Camp, we are located in the mountains in Arizona. I know a lot of times when people think Arizona, they think hot, dry desert, but that's not where we are. We're about four hours northeast of Phoenix in the White Mountains of Arizona, so the camp's up at 8,300 feet elevation. And for those of you who've not been there yet, as I say yet, I'm going to show you a real quick video flyover so you can see a little bit of what camp looks like. So that's just a little bit of a reason why you need to come visit Arizona. But before I start with the story of the camp, I want to share with you our mission, why we are in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. We exist to glorify God by serving local churches. Camp is a a parachurch ministry. And the only reason that we are there is to serve local churches. That's what we are passionate about. That's what we love doing because the church is something special. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is those whom Christ died for. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the means that God has chosen to show the world what Jesus looks like. And so we only exist to serve local churches. And how do we do that? Through using the unique atmosphere of camp. Uh, I'll share with you one of my pet peeves. It's the word unique. Because that word gets misused all of the time for things that are not really Unique, and when you call something unique that's not unique, then you make the word unique not mean unique anymore. Uh, so, but you say, yeah, you still put it in your mission statement. Yes, I did, uh, because there's something truly unique about camp. You say, oh, well, it's the fact that you're out in the mountains, and it's beautiful, and you get to see God's creation. Yes, we do get to do that, but that's not what makes camp unique. There's lots of places with beautiful mountains. 
say, well, then it's the games, it's the activities, it's the fun that you have at camp. And yes, we get to have a lot of fun at camp, and that's a good thing. But that's not what makes camp unique. Uh, you can go lots of other places and pay lots of money to have fun. Uh, what makes camp unique is the only thing that's truly unique about camp, and that's the people that God brings to serve there. And God has blessed us throughout the years with people that love Jesus and want to point other people to Jesus. Whether it's the staff that are there year-round or the staff that are there for the summer, that's our most important ministry. I remember a few years ago, it was very early on in my ministry at the camp, and uh, Brother Steve Pettit was there preaching. And uh, we sat together outside for a little bit, and I asked him about his experience as director at Northland Camp. I never got to work there, but I heard so many stories of the kids who loved working there. I say kids, the young adults who loved working at Northland. And uh, they talked about uh, how much they wanted to go back. They loved the ministry there. So I asked him, I said, what did you do at Northland that was different? And he told me, he said, our staff was our most important ministry. He said, we believed that if we were investing in the staff and that the staff were growing, that then the campers would have a great time. I never forgot that, sir. Thank you. And because of that, we said our staff's going to be our most important ministry. That is what makes camp unique. And we are so thankful for the staff throughout the years from UBC that God has brought out there. I'm, I'll show you some more pictures of that in a little bit. But I was adding it up, and we've averaged at least four from the church here for 17 summers now. So that means this church has given over 70 summers of ministry at camp. And so thankful for that because God has used the young people who've come to point people to Jesus. So, if our mission is to serve local churches, that means our story starts with a local church. This is Living Waters Baptist Church. It was on the Navajo Reservation in Sanders, Arizona. It's where my dad pastored for 20 years, so that's where I grew up. So, dad became a missionary pastor there in 1988, and one of the very first things that he did was take a group of young Navajo teens up to the wilds of the Rockies, which was in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So this is a picture of the camp there. And this has a huge part in our story because Dad was passionate about the camp ministry and what it meant. So we would drive 500 miles up to Colorado. And uh, that first summer, he took eight Navajo young men in a blue panel van, had no windows and no seat belts, just had a bunch of bench seats around the inside of it. Uh, things were a little different back then. Uh, but camp wasn't just important for the teens in our church. Camp was important for our family because being a, a missionary on the Navajo Reservation was a very tough ministry. Just being in church ministry in the West is challenging because churches are spread out. It's very isolated. It's very lonely. I remember my dad saying to us boys when we were lonely, saying, don't forget the friends you made at camp. I remember dad saying that camp helped keep him on the mission field because of the encouragement that he would have with meeting other pastors when he was at camp. It was very influential in my life. I uh, made a profession of faith after a week at camp. It was at camp where I said, I believe God would have me to serve in the ministry. 
Uh, it was uh, at camp that I met my wife. The last summer there at the Wilds of the Rockies was where I met Rachel working at camp out there. So we were very thankful for that uh, ministry. I started working there the summer of 99. I got a call from the director saying, we are desperate for a custodial crew. Would you be willing to work at camp this summer? And I said, sir, let me pray about it. Hung up the phone and uh, screamed at the top of my lungs, Dad, I'm working at camp. So it was a very short prayer. Um, and I, I uh, have been working at camp every summer since then. Uh, another part of the story is uh, what God was doing in my dad's life at that time. So me and both of my younger brothers were working at camp in Colorado. When my dad was in college, he went on a missions trip to Canada with uh, Dr. Earl Newts. So Dr. Newts was also my campus parent while I was in school. And so he knew that we loved camp. And he was connected with churches in Canada that uh, wanted to start a camp. So he called my dad and asked him if he would help with starting camp in Canada. So my dad's wearing the yellow shirt there. This is up in Canada where they would go on backpacking trips into the mountains. And so in the summers of 2002 to 2004, dad was helping run camp up in Canada. So that brings us to the summer of 2004, back to another picture of the wilds of the Rockies. So it was the summer of 2004 when they announced that that camp would be closing. That was like a, a death in the family for me. I, I was weeping, sobbing like I've never sobbed before. Uh, it seemed like God was bringing a dream to an end. But God used that and uh, my dad was there the last week. Morris Gleiser was the preacher that week. And he was talking about how much we were going to miss that place. It's a beautiful place. Probably one of the prettiest camps that there's ever been. He said, but it's not the place that made it special. He said, it's the people. And then he said, with the right philosophy and the right people, you could run camp in a parking lot. Well, that phrase kind of got stuck in my dad's head. And he was having other missionary pastors in our mission board saying, where, where are we going to take our kids to camp? He was having some of the pastors from Canada calling saying, where are, what are we going to do for camp? And so that was where the idea for Camp on Wheels came from. The idea was with the right philosophy and the right people, we could do camp in a parking lot. So we had the idea, but the problem was we didn't have any money. And uh, yet God was providentially working. So I was home over Christmas break, 2004. And uh, for some reason, I, I can't remember exactly why, we were going to Phoenix. We were driving through Flagstaff. Flagstaff's in the mountains. It was snowing heavy. We had one of those old uh, Suburbans that, to put it in four-wheel drive, you had to get out and lock the hubs on it. So Dad did that. We get through the snow, and then we start going downhill to Phoenix. Picking up a lot of speed. Problem was, Dad forgot to unlock the hubs. So somebody comes flying past us, waving their arms. Apparently, there were flames coming out from underneath the car uh, because um, the transmission had exploded. So we pulled off on the side of the road. Thankfully, the flames went out quickly. Uh, but one part of the story I forgot to tell you from earlier. When my parents would take us to camp, they couldn't afford to stay on the campsite as sponsors. So they would drop us off, and then they would go camp in the National Forest right outside the camp during that week of camp. 
and they would uh, come in for the services and then stay out in, in a trailer in the woods. Well, they met someone else doing the exact same thing. Their trailer was parked there next to them. It was a family from Phoenix that was bringing their kids to camp, camping out in the woods during the week. So they got to be really good family friends. And uh, we, we spent time throughout the years of taking turns driving back and forth to camp with them. Well, we're on the side of the road on the way to Phoenix, blown up transmission. And so what do we do? We, we call those friends that are in Phoenix. And they answered the phone and said, oh, do not worry about it. We will be glad to help. Uh, we'll send a tow truck. We'll come pick you up. Well, when they get there to pick us up, they are, show up in a brand new Cadillac Escalade. And they paid for the tow truck and paid for a new transmission. And remember, I just said they were camping out with us because they couldn't afford to be sponsors either. So something had obviously changed. And we, we came to learn that in God's providence, uh, she had come into an inheritance and God had provided financially for her. And she wanted to hear about Camp on Wheels. And she wanted to fund Camp on Wheels. So she bought the trailer. She bought the truck. She bought the tents. This is a, a picture of some of the Navajo men at our church in Sanders putting together floors for the tents that we used the first summer in 2005. We were out in the middle of the woods in Arizona doing camp on wheels. So we had tents for the cabins. Uh, we had a tent for the dining hall. Uh, we had a, a tent for the kitchen, volunteers serving in there, a tent for the chapel. And we did two weeks of camp there in Arizona where we had about 35 kids each week of camp. And then we packed everything up in the trailer and headed up to Canada. And uh, one more picture, uh, that's uh, Sarah. And uh, this picture is in honor of all of the crazy parents who have sent their kids to work with us. Uh, Sarah came out that very first summer. Rachel and I had just been dating for, for about a year. And uh, Sarah was 14, and uh, Sarah wanted to come work at camp, and her parents were crazy enough to let her, and I'm very thankful for all of you crazy parents who've kept sending your kids since then. All right, uh, moving on. That was uh, the trailer with beds, cots, games, activities in it, and we would drive uh, 1,600 miles up to just north of Calgary, where we would run camp for a couple weeks up there. I think there's at least one Rollins uh, in this picture. Uh, we, we've had, uh, it's, it's always kind of been a family thing from the church here. We have had a lot of uh, Rollins and Reeds and Loshers and Reeves and Campbells uh, over the year. And I know I'm missing a bunch of others, uh, but so thankful again for how God's provided there. So the camp's in Canada. We kept on doing that at the end of our summers in Arizona. We would drive up to Canada, do the road trip. Um, how many of y'all in here, just raise your hands, have done the road trip to Canada? Is there a few of you in there? So Will, okay, John, yep, okay, awesome. Uh, so we've had a few who did the road trip with us up there. And uh, we kept doing that through the summer of 19, 2020, ended the road trips to Canada for us. We haven't done it since then, but the awesome thing is that the pastors up there the last two summers have run camp at the same place with a bunch of kids who grew up going to camp and working at camp. So we're very thankful that God 
has continued that ministry there. So we were doing rental camps, uh, using a rental property, camp on wheels, until we get to the summer of 2008. And uh, we had a donor who said, Arizona doesn't just need camp on wheels, Arizona needs a permanent camp. And so we were given 40 acres of land in the mountains, totally surrounded by national forest. Uh, one of the first things that we did when we were given the property was we got a wood miser sawmill so that all of the wood you can see on the property, all of the trim, uh, the bunk beds, the cabinets, all of that came off the property. Through that sawmill, we had different volunteers come out and uh, help get that started. And uh, when we first got the property, the only thing on it was this old rustic summer cabin. Um, and then I, I love this picture because this is uh, sitting around the table when we've just been given this property. We're in that old cabin doing master planning, praying, saying, God, how would you have us use this place that you've given to us? And I remember in those meetings as we prayed and said, how can we best serve the churches with what you've given us? And we said, we believe this place could be used for about 200 people with campers and pastors and staff. That's what we're going to build for. At the time, that seemed impossible. <laughs> that, that seemed so far away. Uh, so that, that was 2008, this last summer. Almost every single week, we had over 200 people on the campsite. And it was so neat to take a step back and look at, in, in Psalm 20, it says, may God answer all of your desires for good. And to think about at that time when we're praying and saying, God, what would you have us do? God, this is what we think you would have us do. And then to see God answer those prayers. Because God providentially works through people. That's how God accomplishes his purposes. So God gave us volunteers with the right skill sets. Uh, we had a volunteer there through the whole building project who knew how to do foundations. Uh, we had volunteers there who were uh, skilled in knowing camp, very experienced in getting the cabins built. Uh, this was one of our cabins there. And you see those logs on the front. Those all came off the property. And we had volunteers who came out and skinned all the bark off of those logs. And that is one way that God helped build ownership on the camp. The whole place was built with about 80% volunteer labor. And just a few weeks ago, one of the young men who came out when he was 16 to skin logs came back to me and said, hey, I want to come back and help cut down logs again. And so it's really neat to see how God's doing that kind of thing years later. Then that brings us to 2011. I'll tell this part of the story as quick as I can. Usually this part of the story takes an hour by itself, but it's not going to today. Uh, so 2011, we're in the process of building the new camp. The cabins were just in the dry. And we were running camp at a rented property in Alpine, Arizona, 30 miles south of our property. Well, it was Memorial Day weekend. Our theme that summer was the story of the Bible, how it all fits together from Genesis to Revelation. And I had just finished teaching through that and was making an application to the staff. I said, so often we want to plan out our lives. 
We, we want to say, I'm going to uh, live here. I'll have this job. I'll marry this person. I'll do this, this, this. And we say, oh, but I'm a Christian, so I need to fit God into my life story. But that's not how it works. God has a story. He is the author. He is the one laying everything out, and we're supposed to say, how does my life fit into God's story? Well, little did I know as I was making that application, there were some campers 30 miles south of Alpine who had gone on a walk that morning and left their fire unattended. A gust of wind blew it out of the campground. It became the biggest fire in Arizona's history. By the time it was done, it burned over 600,000 acres. And uh, so, long story short, we evacuated from Alpine as the fire was coming down on top of us. It was pitch black dark as we were leaving. There were chunks of burning uh, coals, ash coming out of the sky. And then I took this picture just a few miles down the road. We went to our new property, spent the night there. The next morning, that valley was full of smoke. So then we evacuated down to Phoenix, where I'm with a staff that had given their summer to come work at a camp in the mountains where we say the beauty of creation points us to Jesus And on the evening news, we're watching the mountains burn. And uh, eventually, watching the map of the fire, it had completely burned through our property. Uh, But then uh, we got a call from our neighbors who told us that as the fire, as the winds were blowing 60 miles an hour everywhere else, that in our valley, it was calm. And as as the fire approached our valley, it split and went around. But there was one building on the property that burned. Remember that old rustic summer cabin I told you about? Uh, it was gone. Somehow an ember landed on it because it was green grass all the way around it. Now, when they told us it burned, they were laughing. They, Why would you laugh about a building burning? Well, that building was in the prime view spot on the property. And literally... The week before the fire, we were having debates about whether or not to tear that building down to put our main lodge there. And we had said, you know, the easiest thing would be to just burn it. I don't always tell my insurance agent that part of the story. (laughs) No, we then decided it's not good stewardship for us to tear down a perfectly good building. We're going to put the lodge somewhere else. And then God took care of that for us. And the insurance money from that cabin helped us to build our main lodge. Uh, the fire went right behind where our cabins were. So I told you they were just in the dry. That plastic wrap on the cabins, it was so hot from the fire that it shrunk it. And even the uh, nails with the plastic washers on them had melted into the wood on those cabins. And uh, yet they were all fine. But it, it was still discouraging when we got there. It was... Uh, It was scarred, it was burnt, it was so hot from the fire that it had sucked all the moisture out of the trees. So even the trees that hadn't burned, all of the needles were brown on them. And I actually had somebody come to me at that time, a staff member who said, Matt, it's over. Nobody's ever going to want to come here. You need to cut our losses and let's try somewhere else. That's how discouraging it was at the time. And yet after a few weeks, the rains came, and the grass started growing again, the needles turned green again. But even before that, something that started growing everywhere was this red fern, 
We'd never seen that before. And uh, so we asked uh, the forest rangers, we said, what is that? They said, it's called fireweed. Said it only grows after a forest fire. So you see just a little picture of what God in his providence gave us. This land that, that was scarred and broken was covered with this blood-red fern, and then God sent the rains and renewal came. You know, as, as long as I'm alive, we're still going to have scars there from the fire. But now we don't just say, look at the beauty of creation, because that points you to Jesus. That's still true, and we still get to do that. But we also say, look at the scars that are on creation. Because that also points us to Christ. Because we live in a sin-cursed, broken world. But we have a Savior who still bears scars because of what He did to break the curse for us. And so we still are using it to point people to Jesus. So this is a picture of our main lodge there. The main lodge, the top level is our dining hall, bottom level is chapel and snack shop. Um, and if you came out and I gave you a tour, I would be telling stories the whole time of how God has providentially provided through his people because God accomplishes his purposes through people. Uh, the dish pit in here. Uh, we were uh, buying our appliances off of Craigslist for the kitchen and uh, went out to pick up an oven. And when I was buying the oven, there was this stainless steel just laying on the ground. And I asked the guy, I was like, so could I buy that from you? And he said, yeah, 200 bucks. And uh, we had just looked at custom stainless for our dish pit. would have been about 7000 And uh, But you can see some lines on there. It was just a little too long. We had a volunteer who cut it and welded it back together. And the entire place is stories like that, where God provided through people and accomplishing his purposes uh, this is the summer of 2014. This is the very first camp that we had on the property. It was a family camp for families from Luke Air Force Base. It's another part of the story. When we were evacuated because of that fire, the church that we were at, the pastor there was a chaplain in the Air National Guard. And so Wednesday night after church, I had asked him, how do you do this pastor-chaplain thing? And uh, he said, uh, meet me at 0600 tomorrow morning. And took me out to Luke Air Force Base, where I fell in love with the ministry of the Air Force chaplaincy and became a reserve chaplain. And then uh, when my first supervisor in the Air Force Reserve found out that I was a camp director, he said, so what I want you to do is while you're on orders, I want you to plan a retreat at your camp. And uh, so God providentially orchestrated that. Bert came out to speak to the airmen. So this is out at our a low ropes course, and we had them do the wall right there. And then after that, he was able to share the gospel with them on what faith means. And we have continued to have these airmen there every Memorial Day weekend since then. Um, there have been a few others from UBC out there. Uh, John's made uh, quite a few summers. Uh, there's a, a Reeves girl. Uh, the uh, ponytail uh, has made its way into a lot of brochures. Um, this picture, uh, Mary and Joanna were out there as part of our leadership camp. Uh, so two summers ago, God started exploding the ministry at the camp. 
And a lot of it was through the leadership camp. We had uh, 33 there for leadership week. And uh, Mary and Joanna were there, and then they were back this last summer. Uh, so uh, there's Joanna working in the coffee shop. The cool thing about the coffee shop there is we had a mission team from Cross Impact that came out several summers ago, and they did all of the tongue and groove in uh, that coffee shop. So it's proof that uh, college students can build, even if they've never done it before. Uh, then uh, a few more pictures. Uh, Will has given a lot of summers out there. He's led worship with us. He's been a counselor. And uh, then this is a picture of Grandpa Will. Uh, he, he was our uh, custodial crew chief for a summer. And uh, all these guys to this day still refer to Grandpa Will, uh, who invested a lot in them. Oh, it's a picture of our cabins. This is a picture of the inside of a cabin, what it's supposed to look like. Uh, so this is another story, uh, because this is not what the cabins looked like this summer. Uh, the cabins are supposed to have about eight campers per cabin. You've got four bunk beds and then a big bed in there. And uh, this summer, we averaged about 11 campers per cabin. We had campers on the floor. Uh, we had old metal bunk beds in there that were Korean War era. Uh, we were jam-packed. We had a waiting list where we were having to turn kids away. And the way God brought that into being was through COVID, of all things. Uh, the summer of 2020, uh, God sovereignly orchestrated that we were uh, in a county that was very supportive of us being open. And so we were able to creatively find a way to be safe and be open, and God used that to introduce us to a lot of new pastors. Um, one other story I have to tell from that. One of the new churches that came that summer came because their youth pastor's dad was my first supervisor in the Air Force Reserve. And he told them, well, your camp's closed. You should go check out Grandview. So he came up, did a tour, and I told him, you should come for Will Galkin Week. Will was speaking that summer, and I knew he'd be a good fit for their church. Well, little did I know, they told me this later on. Youth pastor went back, and he's meeting with their elders and says, he's recommended this guy, Will Galkin. I've listened to his message. I think he'd be good for our church. And one of the other elders, his jaw just drops, and he had recently moved to Phoenix from Guam, where he had been involved in harvest ministries and had become good friends with Will Galkin through that. And it keeps getting better. Their senior pastor at the church there is from Clemson. And he's part of the same church planning network that my brother-in-law over at Cross Point is involved with. And so they came that summer. And then this summer... The same week that they came, there were six other churches that came that they had invited. And that kind of thing happened over and over over the last two summers to where we've nearly, we have more than doubled the number of campers that we have in a summer. Um, so uh, that is a, a picture of the dining hall from this last summer. Uh, that's a, a picture of worship downstairs. That's one of my favorite times together is when we are singing Congregational worship is one of our distinctives at camp there because it's a taste of heaven. 
when you have different churches and different generations coming together singing praise to Jesus. Earlier we sang uh, Christ our hope in life and death. That's one of our favorites, especially at junior camp. When you get to the chorus and it's that oh sing hallelujah, you can see the junior campers. They take a big breath and put their heads back and they let it rip. Uh, and it really is a taste of heaven. But it's not just about, oh, and this was a picture of our ladies retreat from last fall. Uh, we had over 120 ladies there. And um, we, we had to turn 20 away because we didn't have enough room. Um, but it's not just about the, the numbers. Uh, this picture's got just two people in it. This is our pond. And uh, my dad is out there. He pastors Ponderosa Bible Church. And then our neighbor is out there getting baptized. So when we first moved to Arizona, uh, our neighbors that live right next to us, uh, he had grown up very nominally Christian. She had grown up Mormon. She hadn't been in the, the LDS church for a long time. And Rachel got to witness to her many times. And she came to faith in Jesus. And then she witnessed to her husband, and he came to faith in Christ. And then he volunteered to dig out the pond for us. And he said, once that's full, that's where I'm getting baptized. Uh, So this was the Sunday that all of our church gathered around, and he got baptized. This is uh, one of my favorite pictures. It's taken by one of our our, uh, pastor's wives. They love coming up there. He's a, a church planter in Phoenix. And one of the things that he's always told me is that camp is their oasis. He said, people don't understand ministry in the West. He said, it's a desert. He said, I don't just mean physically. He said, I mean spiritually. And he said, for us to be able to come to camp and have a place of refreshment is so important for us. And they take that picture because it reminds them that God keeps his promises. One more story. This is our observation deck. It's up at the highest point of the property. We got to rebuild it last summer, and uh, the reason I'm telling you this part of the story is it leads into the next story. Uh, the church that came up to build the observation deck, I, I didn't know it, but the pastor, after they were there, contacted a group of donors and said, y'all should be helping Grandview. As a group of donors I, I'd never been connected with. Also, what I didn't know is that God providentially, within two months, none of them having any contact with each other, four different people had contacted that group of donors saying, you should be helping at Grandview. So in the summer of 2021, our first summer with kids on the floor and waiting lists, a representative from that group came out and visited the camp. And he saw what the need was. He saw how full everything was. And uh, I told him then that we had an idea for a new building. We had a need for it, but wasn't sure how that was going to happen. Um, we get to September of 21, and I get a call from him. He said, we, I, I'm interested in presenting your need for a building to our board. Uh, he said, do you have a presentation ready? Well, at the time, some things had gone kind of crazy on the military side of things. So September and October, I was working around the clock full-time uh, for the Air Force. And I told him, I said, I'm sorry, I have nothing to present. Uh, I, I don't have anything ready to go. I don't want to make a big ask without being ready to go. 
He said, okay, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll check back in a few months. He called me back the next day. And he said, Matt, God won't let me uh, not pursue this. He said, I know what your need is. I've been there. You don't need to make any presentation. I'll do it for you. And uh, he called me back a little while later and said, we want to help you with this. So that uh, leads us to the building project that we've got going on right now. Uh, so we have 16 camper cabins that we can have up to eight campers in, which puts our capacity 128 with eight kids per cabin. Uh, we only, we're only able to use 12 of them because we had to use four of them for pastors, group leaders to stay in. This last, so 12 cabins at eight campers means our capacity is 96. This last summer we averaged 120. Uh, so it became very important to move forward with this building. This would be an inn. It would have 10 guest rooms plus a conference room space. And that would make it possible for our, our pastors and sponsors to have comfortable accommodations and then use all of our cabins for the campers. Uh, the budget for this building was going to be 650000 A Four years ago, somebody donated us a ranch in New Mexico that we were able to sell and set aside 150000 to go towards this building. Uh, the group of donors that I mentioned earlier, when I met with them, they gave us 100000 which gave us two hundred and fifty, which was enough to get through phase one, getting the building in the dry. But they also gave us a $200,000 matching gift. That if we can match all of that, that gets us to the full 650 so that we can have this building done by this summer. Uh, so this was breaking ground. Uh, my dad is there on the far left. And uh, then in the middle is one of our pastor church planters, Ryan Horkovy. Uh, Joel is my operations director. Andy Gleiser was there. The cool thing about that was that very first summer of Camp on Wheels, Andy was the preacher for that week. Uh, and he's continued to come and serve with us. But then on the far right is a guy named Roger Rosnick. And this is just one more story of God's providence uh, in answering prayer. So when they donated that money, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh, God's provided financially but now that means we got to get ready to start building. We need to get a building permit, and I don't know how to do that. And so I sent an email to Roger. Roger lived at the camp from 2011 to 13 and led the construction there. I sent him an email that in the subject line said, HELP, in all caps with a bunch of exclamation points, and told him what God had done and said, can you help us get a building permit? And uh, he sent me an email back and said, give me a call. I called him. He said, Matt, what's your dream scenario? I said, well, my dream scenario is crazy. Because my dream scenario would be for you to move here a year, for a year to build this building for us. I said, but I know that's crazy. You've got a job. You've got a, a life. Can you just help me get a building permit? And then we'll trust God to provide from there. He said, well, Matt. He said, since I was with y'all building before, he said, I got a degree so I could be an accountant. He said, I have a job doing that now, but it's all remote. He said, I usually don't even start working until late afternoon or evening. He said, it would be my dream scenario to move there for a year to build that building for you. So I was excited when God provided financially. I went Pentecostal when Roger said he wanted to do that. Uh, that was just a, an incredible answer to prayer. From that moment on, Roger took it over. 
He did all of the work. He had, actually, before he even called me back, he'd already been in contact with the county about the building permit. Uh, he has been leading the project since that point. Uh, and then lo- this is probably my favorite picture in this entire presentation. That's Matthew Cochran uh, from the church here. He came out in June uh, to help with the building project. And that smile on Matthew's face is how he looks every single time I see him. He has just been an incredible blessing and a joy to serve with. Uh, and, and there he is, skin and logs again. We're still doing that. Uh, Matthew's coming home in about a week and a half. And y'all need to give him a hero's welcome. He was only supposed to be there until August. And uh, Roger begged him to stay a little bit longer. And Matthew sacrificed a lot to do that. And uh, he is all very much responsible for the building being where it is now. And Matthew is just a representative of the young men that God has used throughout the years who've given their energy uh, to make it happen. Jonathan Rollins came out very early on uh, and helped build the lodge and lived there for a year. Uh, so we're thankful for Matthew. Uh, there, there's another picture of him. And uh, then there he was. We lifted the first wall uh, the first week of August. So that's when we're putting up the first wall. Another answer to prayer. This is uh, Dave Corneliuson. He and his wife, Chris, he's retired from the Marines and now is a ministry of helps. Uh, I had met him two and a half years ago. A month ago, he called me out of the blue, said, Matt, I uh, met you two and a half years ago. We've got a ministry of helps. Do you need help? I said, let me think. Yes. And uh, he and his wife have been there. She's been cooking in the kitchen and he's helping with the building. Uh, and Dr. Newts uh, was just out there for three weeks building cabinets for the building. Uh, Dr. Newts has been coming out every summer since 2005 for at least two weeks. His fingerprints are all over the camp. And uh, he's 84 now and uh, just was out there again building, was helping pick up walls. Uh, so it's a proof that God uses young men and God uses mature men. Uh, to get the work done. So we are, are thankful for that. Um, that's the progress that's been made. That was taken uh, two weeks ago. And then this was taken, let's see here, on Friday. So Friday we officially got in the dry, which was a huge answer to prayer. We wanted to get that done before snow fell. And uh, so that was the end of phase one. Phase two is as we raise the rest of the matching gift, then we get it done by uh, May. I've already been in contact with the Air Force Reserve chaplain that's planning to be back Memorial Day weekend. He said, how many families can you do? Because last time they did 16 families. I said, well, you can do 26 families because we are planning to have this done by then, trusting that God will provide. Of that $200,000 matching gift, uh, so far we've raised 71 So we need to raise another 129 uh, by the middle of January so that we know for sure that we have it ready. Uh, You say, why the church in South Carolina helping with a camp in Arizona? I mentioned before that the churches out there are spread out. They're smaller. Most of the churches we serve can barely support their own pastor. Many are, are bivocational. And uh, we knew going for the camp ministry out there that we would have to raise support and be bivocational, and God's provided through the Air Force Reserve for me to do that. 
So our, our staff are missionary supported, and we are raising funds for this. Many of the churches are sacrificially giving towards it, uh, but we're also asking others to participate with us in this project uh, because it's investing in the churches in the West. Uh, one of the goals to use this building for the same group that donated that matching gift said, once you get it done, we want to fund pastor's retreats where we can invite the pastors that are there to come for a place of refreshment. Um, we love, love the story Pilgrim's Progress. And in there, there's a time where Pilgrim's tired and he's weary and he gets to an inn that they are told was made by the Lord of the hill for a place of refreshment. And that's what we want this to be. Uh, We want to advance our mission of serving churches, and we want to do that by being a place where pastors can come and be refreshed and be encouraged. I spend a lot of time telling stories. God's been good to us, and he has providentially accomplished his purposes through people. You might say, I'm not planning to work at camp. I'm never going to be able to come out and volunteer at camp. That's not really part of my life story. How does this apply to me? Very quickly, let's go to Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. God is a storyteller. God is the author of our story. In the beginning of God's story, when God created the heavens and the earth, when he was done with each day, he would repeat something. And when you're reading Old Testament narrative, when you're reading stories, one of the ways you know the point that the author is trying to make is through what they repeat. And in Genesis Chapter 1, something gets repeated a lot. It's at the end of each day of creation, God would look at what he had made and he would say, it is good. And that's teaching us something about God. It's teaching us that God is the authority because God gets to define what is good. There was no one else there looking at what God had made and saying, God, you did a good job. God looked at what he made and said, I did a good job. That means God is the supreme authority and that God gets to define what is good. And at the end of the story of creation, God creates humanity. Adam and Eve, man and woman in his image. And he says that is very good. Because humanity in God's image means that we are there to have a relationship with God We are there to represent God by ruling on the earth. We're we're here to show all of creation what God is like. That's what it means to be created in God's image. And then you get to Genesis 3, where man rebelled against God. Where the image of God in us was marred and broken and twisted by sin. And ever since that time... There's been a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, pain, suffering, and ultimately death. A lot of frustration. But God's providence over the story never ended. 
And God's definition of good never changed. So look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So here Paul says, the chapter in the story that we're living in right now has a lot of suffering in it. But the way that we get through this chapter is by looking at the end of the story. Because at the end of the story, Jesus will return and He will make everything right and we look forward to that. But we're not there yet. We're still having to live our part of the story where there's so much pain and heartache. And how do we do that? Go to verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This chapter in the story hurts. It's hard. doesn't make sense. God, what are you doing? And go down to verse 28. Romans 8, 28. Probably one of the most Pinterested verses there is. Many of us know this verse, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This verse gets claimed all the time. We're going through hard things, and we say, it's okay, God's going to work it together for good. But just like Adam and Eve, we want to be the ones who define good. And typically, in our mind, that means something bigger and better for me. And that's why you hear phrases like, I'm looking for the good. I'm I'm trying to see the good. I know God's going to work it together for good, but then what happens when things don't turn out the way you want them to? When you don't see any good according to your definition of it? We get discouraged, we get depressed, we get angry at God and say, God, you didn't keep your promises. But God never promised our definition of good. He promises His definition of good. And God's definition of good has never changed. Look down at verse 28 again. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, sin marred and broke God's image in us so that instead of representing God on the earth well, we use creation for our own advantage. We rebel against God's purposes Our relationship with God is broken because of sin. But Jesus broke the power of the curse. And He is in the process in us 
of recreating us in His image. Of that image being renewed in us. That is the purpose of the Gospel. It's the purpose of our salvation. Yes, we get to experience forgiveness of sin. And we have a hope of eternal life with Christ. But today, the purpose of the Gospel is for you and I to be changed, to be more like Jesus. Because that's how God defines good. And God is so sovereign and so much in control of all things that He can take whatever is happening in your life today, the good, the bad, the joy, the pain, and He can work all of it together for good. And what is God's definition of good? For us to become like Jesus so that He gets all of the glory. You might still be tempted to doubt and still be saying, but is God really good? Are God's plans really good? Go down to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God says, when you're tempted to doubt my goodness, look at the cross. He says, if He was willing to give His Son for us, then we can trust Him. Some people will say, well, you just look at life through rose-colored glasses. And we're saying, you know, what you're wearing has a tent that affects the way you view everything. Christians are supposed to look at life through cross-colored glasses. Because the cross changes everything. It's through the cross that we are confident that God loves us. It's through the cross that we have hope that we can be changed to be like Jesus. And it's through the cross that we have hope for the end of the story. Because the empty tomb proved that Jesus is one day going to come back and fix everything. And so... Wherever you're at in, I was about to say your story, but it's not really yours. Wherever you're at in God's story today, you might be in a chapter where you're enjoying life and life is good. You might be in a chapter where it hurts, but God is providentially weaving it all together for good and you can trust him. So today, ask God to help you change to be more like Jesus. And then a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, eternity from now, we'll get to look back and say, God, you're a good storyteller. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are good. And God, as we live our lives as part of your story, all we ever want to be is what you want of us. God, I pray that today we'd be changed to be more like Jesus through the power of the gospel so that you would receive great glory. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.